Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. At C3, we exist to help people pattern their lives after Jesus. This message was first given as part of our teaching series at C3. We are going to continue with our Gospel of Mark series, and so we are in chapter 10, verse 46, and we're going to go all the way through 11, verse 11. So you can turn to your Bibles or follow on the screen behind me. Picking up at verse 46, it says, Then they came to Jericho. As the, Jesus and his disciples, as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the, the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he had heard that Jesus of Nazareth, when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are doing this, say, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway, and they untied it. Some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying the colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, to and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had, hand, they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming king of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven! Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Today's sermon title is called Seeing Jesus. In our passage today, Jesus asked the same question to blind Bartimaeus as he does in the previous passage to James and John. So if you were here last week, earlier in chapter 10, James and John, they come to Jesus and Jesus says this question, what do you want me to do for you? Okay. John and James, they give their reply and they say, we want to sit at your right and your left in your glory. Blind Bartimaeus says, I want to see the disciples give the wrong answer. Bartimaeus gives the right answer. If Jesus was going to come up to you and he was to ask you this question, how would you respond? What do you want me to do for you? 
And before we just get any further in that, think about how obvious this is to blind Bartimaeus. How, like, what do you think, Jesus? I want, I want to see. I want to see, Jesus. But what would it be for you? What is, what is that thing, that breakthrough that you would like to see in your life, in your job, in your marriage, for your kids, your grandchildren? Maybe it's for a friend. What's the pressing need right now that you know that if you could meet Jesus face to face and he asked you for this, this question, how would you respond? What is it you want me to do for you? Have a think. Jesus and the disciples are almost to their targeted destination. All the way, if you go back in Mark chapter 8, verses 27, that's when Jesus leaves Galilee, where he started his ministry. And from chapter 8, verse 27, until our passage today, when he reaches Jerusalem, this has been the whole pilgrimage, the, the route that he's been going. And he, Jesus has been traveling with his disciples, and there's a crowd around him. And, but also tens of thousands of other people from around the country are, and from beyond are coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover celebration. It's a huge festival. It's, it's to celebrate their freedom from uh, oppression underneath the Egypt uh, when God did a bunch of miracles and he, they were freed as slaves in Egypt and they went through exile and then into the promised land. They're coming to celebrate this into Jerusalem and, and Jesus has been on this path and, 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 and uh, Jesus and his disciples are now in the city before Jerusalem. Jericho uh, lies 15 miles out from Jerusalem. So they're, they're almost there. This is the last pit stop. And as Jesus is going through the town of Jericho, the, the disciples in the crowd, uh, they, they're walking by and they pass by a guy named Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus. That's a bar means just son. So anytime you see bar in front of a, a somebody's name, it just means son of. So this man Timaeus or Bartimaeus, he shouts out to Jesus. And, and this is what our text says. It says, when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. See, in this time, somebody who was blind was a nobody. Um, uh, like the little children who, who wanted to get, uh, the people that wanted to get their little children to Jesus that we read in a couple of chapters earlier, they were like the lowest of the low uh, in society. And I don't, like, Blind Bartimaeus would be like viewed lower in our society than some people view a bum on the side of the road with a tin can. This is, this is what he's able to do. He's able to put his cloak down and sit on his cloak. And as people pass by, they would throw money on his cloak. This is, this is how he earned. It's the only way that he could survive this, that he is pushed to the sideline of society. He is ostracized and he is a nuisance to them. That, that I know that, that people look after people who are homeless now or, or people who are uh, disabled now. That was not at all the attitude in the society of Jesus's day, that this man would have been, oh, he is, he is cursed. There's something wrong with him. He's a nuisance. And so when he starts to shout out towards Jesus, the people want to keep him, the people that are with Jesus saying, 
Shut up. Be quiet. He doesn't, he's a rabbi. He's an important teacher. He doesn't have time for you. He's not interested in you. But the guy continues to petition. He continues to speak up. And, and he shouts out, Son of David. And what this means is that in the Old Testament that it was prophesied that King David, the great king, the, the kind of the, uh, the, the picture of a perfect king of Israel, it was at the height of, of their um, monarchy, of, their, of the people of God, that, that David ruled and, and Israel was a free country, that it was prophesied that the great, 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 whatever grandson of David would become the Messiah, the Savior, the one to set their people free. And so this guy, he recognizes that Jesus is the one that was prophesied a long time ago. He realizes that Jesus of Nazareth is that person. Now what's really interesting is that all the way from chapter 8, that people have responded differently to Jesus. But it's blind Bartimaeus, the one that cannot see, is the one who has the most confidence of who actually Jesus is truly is that people have come up to Jesus said rabbi teacher and so on but blind Bartimaeus is confident he is the one that is going to be crowned the savior that he's going to be the one that is the anointed one the promised one Jesus sees his persistence and he calls to him. And as I was reading this, I don't know about your prayer life, but I think sometimes that in our prayer life, we're willing to pray for other people in need, but I think sometimes we feel very gun-shy about praying for ourselves. You know, I don't want to inconvenience Jesus. Maybe God's just too busy for me. Maybe I've just prayed this prayer over and over, God knows what I'm asking for, and he'll answer it if he wants to. But here you see the shameless audacity of blind Bartimaeus to continue to knock and knock and knock and knock until his prayer is answer, answered. So never feel like in your prayer life that you are bothering God. You are not a nuisance to Jesus. Jesus wants to hear from you. Picking up, it says, so they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, which actually he doesn't, their the translation isn't quite this right here. It says Rabbi, which means just teacher. But actually, uh, blind Bartimaeus says Rabboni, which means more like master or Lord, showing that Jesus is the promised one. Again, it shows Jesus' lordship. And he says, Rabboni, I want to see the blind beggar man Cast aside, cast aside the most important thing for his life, the only way to make money. Even before he's healed, he takes this step of faith and he takes his cloak and he throws it aside. Think about how different that was from the rich young ruler who couldn't let go of his money. Yet this guy, who the, the only thing that he had, the only thing, the only thing that would protect and provide for him, that cloak where people could toss money on, his tin can for, for catching his coins, right? He threw it aside to go and to approach Jesus. So Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? 
And again, James and John, in the previous passage, they gave the wrong answer. They said, we want glory, right? We want the power, the prestige. We want the position, right? We know that we can't be number one, but we sure as heck, we want to be number two, and we want to be three. Now, what's really interesting about this passage is that he says that I want to see. Nowhere in the Old Testament is recorded that somebody is healed from being blind. Nowhere. There's not a recorded miracle. There's only a prophecy in Isaiah 35, verse 5, that the coming Messiah, he would be the only one that would be able to open up the, the eyes of the blind. That's how you know that Jesus is the Messiah. So we saw that Jesus, um, he healed a blind man before where it was like he kind of like uh, saw people that were walking around like trees and he laid his hands on them, right? And, 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 and then he, he prayed over them again and then they, their eyes were completely open. Well, in this passage, Jesus simply speaks and the man's eyes are open. Bartimaeus has such awesome faith that he recognizes who Jesus is. Like his faith is completely off the charge into which his faith is rewarded. Jesus says in verse 52, he says, Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. The word for healed in Greek is the, actually the same word that we have for our salvation, that when we're saved eternally. It's, it's sozo. Um, and so when Bartimaeus is healed, he is physically healed, but he is also spiritually healed. He is emotionally healed. He is healed back into society. He was pushed aside, so ostracized that he could not live a normal life in that day that actually his healing is through and through. It's, it's actually, it's amazing that, that that is what Jesus does when he restores our life, that he restores us. He heals us now and for all eternity. Sozo. It means that he heals us. Immediately it says that he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. What's awesome about this is that he didn't go to a four-year seminary. He didn't go have to go to Bible college or anything like that. This guy knew barely anything, and yet he gets to be an apprentice of Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple, that he learned to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, and then he would go and do what Jesus did, that he immediately followed. The word road actually is not road. That We, get, we see the road in English, but actually it means the way or the path. And what's really interesting is before Christians were called Christians, it was called the way. So when you, when you put your faith in Jesus, it was more than just something that you believe in your heart or in your mind. It, it was a whole life, uh, it was a whole life changed that your whole life became reorder, reorder, reordering your whole life, every single behavior, every little attitude around following Jesus. You became an apprentice of Jesus, that you did everything like Jesus. This was the way, or this is the way, just like the Mandalorian, right? For those who know the Mandalorian, right? Church, again, is not just about a building or believing, right? It is it is reorient, reorienting our whole life, right? Patterning our whole lives around following Jesus of Nazareth. It should touch every single part 
of our lives. There should be nothing in our lives that Jesus doesn't touch. Our marriages, our, the way that we parent, the way that we deal with our income, all of those things. Jesus should have authority over those things. That we should reorient our whole lives around everything about following Jesus. And that's what Bartimaeus does. It says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Okay, let's just uh, uh, talk about this. So, so they leave Jericho and they climb and climb and climb. Jericho sits 800 um, feet below sea level. It is the lowest city on planet Earth. It is, it is, it's really low and it is like desert. Okay, and then what they would do is this on this 15 mile hike to Jerusalem, these pilgrims, right? What they would do is they would climb and climb, climb. Jerusalem sits at 3,000 feet above sea level. So this 15 mile hike is about four, almost 4,000 miles, or sorry, 4,000 miles. That would be really crazy, right? <laughs> That's nuts. It would be a 4,000 foot climb, right? It's Desert, 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 which the first time I typed this in my notes, I put dessert by accident, which sounds much better than desert, right? Dessert, dessert, dessert. Mm. <laughs> desert, 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 and then green, right? Like you get to this garden and it's beautiful. And once you get to the Mountain of Olives, it's like you've been hiking and you've been going and you've been going and you've been going. And you're so tired. You've been, you're on this pilgrimage with other people and you're, and you're making the climb. But then you get to this lush green, and then there's the first picture that you see of Jerusalem. And it's like, oh, the end is in sight. Like, we've almost made it. Let's just a little bit farther to go at the Mount of Olives. Going on, it says, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you doing this, say, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied to a doorway, and they untied it. Some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying the cat, that colt? They answered, Jesus had told them to, to and, or sorry, they answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. So what I want you to do after church is I want you to go to find somebody who's warming up their car, and I want you to go up to them, and I want you to just say, the Lord needs it. And then I want you to drive off with their car. No, don't do that. Don't even joke about that. Somebody might actually like freak out and like, like think they're getting like uh, carjacked or something like that. But that's kind of, this is like the equivalent of that. Like, okay, so the disciples are obedient and they go and do this. And we don't really know whether Jesus had pre-planned this, whether he had pre-arranged it or it was a miracle or whatever. But for whatever reason, the disciples, they go and they're obedient in what Jesus says. They go and find the colt, which we know is not a small horse, but we know that it's a donkey because of the gospel of Matthew and goes and gets this donkey for Jesus to ride. It says, when they brought when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the field. Jesus chooses a donkey rather than a horse. What a king would ride was a horse. 
And a ho- if you rode a horse, if a king rode a horse, it means I'm ready to fight. I'm ready for war. It's going down. Riding a donkey means the complete opposite. I'm here for peace. And what's really interesting is that Jesus came from the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is on the east side of Jerusalem. So Jesus would have come through the east gate and he had this parade and, 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 and people welcomed him and, and it's, it's this like peaceful, joyful thing that, that's happening in this. But actually, um, at that same time, Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor, he did not live in Jerusalem He actually lived west of Jerusalem. He lived along the Mediterranean Sea. He didn't want to live with other Jews. He despised Jews, right? But he also had to come in for the festival. But what's really interesting, as Jesus enters through the East Gate, Pontius Pilate would have ridden a stallion from the West Gate. Jesus was bringing hope to people. Why Pontius Pilate would have been coming from the West, bringing fear to to the people as he entered in with his sword and his armor and people would have been scared as he would have entered. So people, they put down their cloaks and they covered the road. This would have covered from the dust and the mud. And you don't just take your cloak off, right? And you just put it on the ground, right? You don't do it for your mom. You don't do it for your dad. You don't do it for your children. You only do it for those who are considered royalty, And what they are doing for this parade is saying, this is the coming king. This is a coronation. This is almost like a coronation parade. I was thinking about uh, King Charles. And maybe 2,000 years from now, people will wonder, like, why are they wearing those funny hats? Or what are they doing uh, doing that? Or why are they celebrating that way? I I asked Esther that already. Like, what, what is that celebration about? Or whatever. That this is a coronation service for Jesus as the coming king. Picking up at verse 9, it says, those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming king of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. The word Hosanna means save we pray, save us now. It is both a, a phrase of worship and it is a plea for help. It's saying, Lord, help us now. It's, a time, it's an urgency. I need you now. Think about this. It's the Passover. It's the celebration of their freedom from their exile. The, 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 the oppression that Pharaoh brought on the, the people of God. They're here celebrating it. What it, would it be like for you and I if our country was taken over by somebody else and it came to the 4th of July and we went to go light off our fireworks, meaning while being oppressed by somebody else, wouldn't be much fun, would it? Think about that. Not much of a celebration. That's the kind of weird tension that's coming into our passage. The people of God, they're there for a festival. They're there to party. But it's not really a party because they're not really free. They're slaves in their own country. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. That when they came back to Jerusalem from their last exile, the temple was demolished. And when they rebuilt the temple, the presence of God never filled the temple like it did the first time. And so when Jesus 
who is fully God and fully human, Yahweh returns to the temple, right? The temple was like supposed to be a portal between heaven and earth. This was, if you wanted to go meet with God, if you wanted to know God, you went to the temple. Yahweh has returned to the temple and yet no one is there. It's ironic. It's like Mark leaves us on a cliffhanger until, next, or until our next episode, right? right? And you can't wait till next week to tune in to the Gospel of Mark and come to church. But the question that Jesus asks us today is, what do you want me to do for you? The disciples, James and John, they gave the wrong answer. But blind Bartimaeus, the, the, the person who was most unlikely, the person who could not see Jesus physically at all, was the one person who actually truly knew wholeheartedly who Jesus was. And so from chapter 8 all the way to ver- chapter 11, there's been pe- different people who have responded to Jesus in different ways. There's the religious, there's the crowds, there's the disciples, there's the rich man, and there's Bartimaeus. And each one of these people, I feel like, represents somebody different in how we react and, and how we are with, uh, with, uh, with God and how we respond to God. There's the religious who have their eyes just completely shut. They don't, they don't like God. They don't know God. They don't want to know God. They don't want to have anything to do. They're the people of, in church who sometimes get dragged there by somebody else. Right? Maybe your spouse has dragged you to church, or maybe somebody has come to church and they just, they've come really reluctantly, or maybe there's somebody who just doesn't want to go to church anymore. They've had enough of it. Oh, that's enough religion. Those are people who represent they're just closed off. There was times in my life I was like, I was just like, I gosh, I just don't want to go. Don't want to know. Don't care. Hard-hearted. Those, that's the opposite of what we call a person of peace. There's the disciples. They've been in church their whole lives, but their eyes fully aren't open to who Jesus is. Maybe they're like lukewarm in their faith, or they come out of church out of the habit. They think Jesus is just a good moral teacher, so they come, oh, let's go and take the kids to Sunday school, or we'll just show up, and at least we're learning good values. But it's kind of like lukewarm. I, I felt like a lot of my Christian, like before I really encountered Jesus when I was 23 in Sheffield, was like, it was like I was like kind of knew Jesus, but I didn't really know him. You know, like I, I knew of him and I knew Jesus, you know, he was God and you know, he died for my sins. But I wasn't like passionate, on fire Christian for him. I didn't have like this deep relationship. I just didn't get it. Like why in the world, like... I would think, why would my mom and dad want to go every single Sunday to this? My dad, who was formerly a pastor uh, and, 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 uh, and has been involved in ministry, there were times I thought, why would you want to give your whole life? I just didn't get it. I was like, I mean, I get it. Like, yeah, go to church, learn to be a good person, whatever. But you didn't get it until you're like just full of the Holy Spirit. It's like the pilot light, but the gas isn't hitting it. And once, though, you do understand, you're like, oh, Jesus is real. He's here right now, and I can have a real relationship with him. Then there's the rich man who wanted the best of both worlds. He wanted to follow Jesus, but actually his God was money. There's people out there who really just, they want to follow Jesus, but they also just want money, sex, and power. You're torn between these two worlds. Or maybe you're like the people in the crowds who just go along with whatever. I remember when I was in college, 
Um, and my friends, they would come over to stay like in the summertime or like we'd hang out at my, and I would always warn them. I said, I would use this phrase. I'd say, sorry, mom and dad. And I'd say, my parents, they're old school. Okay, so, so you know, all the things that we do at college, you know, we can't go and do around my mom and dad, right? They're, they're old school, which means that they followed the Bible. That's, that's basically what it means. You know, things have changed, you know, like we need to adapt and modernize, right? No, they just followed the way of Jesus. But people in the crowds, they just, they get hyped up for Jesus. They just go around, they go along with whatever the crowd is doing. And then there's Bartimaeus. You just want to see. You recognize Jesus as the real living God. You're done playing the victim over your life. You just want to surrender every single part over to him and follow the way of Jesus. To you, your faith is not just a religion to believe in, but it's a lifestyle of being with Jesus, being like Jesus, and then going and doing what Jesus did. I think like Bartimaeus, the greatest thing that we can ask for Jesus is to see. It's just to see him. Not just in part of our lives or just in a belief, but actually to see him in every single part of our lives. We want to see Jesus as our Lord and Savior through every single fabric of our lives. And it's just not just a one-time decision of just of knowing him, but we want to know him. We want to know him in our, in our finances. We want to know him in our marriages. We want to know him in our jobs, in all of our relationships, in every single decision. That our journey of faith isn't just a one-time decision, but it's thousands of decisions of laying our lives down and opening our eyes to who Jesus is calling us to be, to be with him, to be like him, and then going and, and doing what Jesus did, to put our full trust that Jesus has a better way than our lives have currently. And it takes a whole lifetime to be able to do this. I'm going to call the band up at this point for our last song. If you guys would like to stay, stand, stay, hope you stay, stay. <laughs> if you'd like to stand, I'm going to pray for us and the band will lead us in our last song. Jesus, we pray this morning that we would see you. Lord, I pray that our eyes would be fully open to you and who you are. Lord, I pray that if we're here today and we're like a little fuzzy about Jesus, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just come and fill our lives so much that we're just like, pow, there you are, God. There you are. Lord, and I, I pray, Lord, that, 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 that we just give everything over to follow you, to follow your way, to trusting that, that you are Lord and Savior over our entire lives. Lord, help us like to be like blind Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus or I guess he's just Bartimaeus now because he's not blind. But Lord, that, that we would leave behind whatever it is that we have to follow you. Whatever our version of our cloak is, Lord, I pray that we would surrender it to you to follow you wholeheartedly. Help us to be with you, to be like you, and do what you did. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that this message helps you to grow in a relationship with Jesus. Connect with us at classiccitychurch.org.